seems as if maybe they've communicated with him and he's writing back. And that's what we find here. We've, we've dealt with several of these already. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed studying through the book of Corinthians. I never have in very much depth, but some interesting stuff in here. But this one is very interesting. Head coverings. <laughs> Should women wear head coverings in church? So Melissa, you're the only one who's got it covered tonight, so good job. <laughs> Any of you ladies, you got it covered internally. You're spiritually, have your head covered. You think you're all right there, maybe. Let's read and let's see what the Lord has for us here. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head cover, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Anybody saying, come on, Paul, yet? It's a very interesting passage. A lot of man and women in here, and then the women are keeping their head covered because of the angels and some power. Very unique, right? Verse 13, judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together in your word. We ask for your blessing upon it. We pray that you would give us not only understanding to interpret this passage, but understanding of how you would have us to apply it. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates the word to us. We thank you for your word, which is all truth. And so we ask your blessing upon this time as we consider it. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1 through 16, which we just read, specifically deal with head coverings for women in public. And not just in public, but in the public worship gatherings. But in this chapter, and in the next chapter, chapter 11 and 12, Paul's also going to write about the observance of the Lord's Supper, and then he's going to deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there again, not just spiritual gifts, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit in regards to our public worship gatherings. So tonight we have these first 16 verses, and we're looking at head coverings for women in public worship. Those are your qualifying statements there. But I want you to understand that we live in a different culture. Now, I'm not going to interpret the scripture differently because our culture is differently. You understand that's problematic, right? We interpret the scripture. And if you've not been through this with us before, we've done this multiple times as a church. We take the text in their town. So in the early church, in the early part of the era that we live in here, you know, the 
the 60s, not the 1960s, not the 1860s, the 60s, the 40s, you know, the 90s. We take it in these times and we go over to their town and we interpret the scripture based off their town and their culture at their time. And then we bring it back to our town with, by way of application using a biblical principle. Okay, So for us to understand this passage, that's, what, that's the task we have before us tonight. What I want you to think of as we go through this, because it's going to be a little bit lengthy for me to get you through this. I don't mean that as I'm going to take a long time tonight. I'll have you out of here by 8 o'clock. What I mean is to, to bring us to where we want to get, it's, going to, it's, just, it's just kind of a grueling process. You just kind of got to go through a lot of words. okay? But as you think of this and we go through it, I want you to see that Paul is writing. I'm going to get, get you to the end before I give you the middle. okay? Paul is writing to address our personal posture in worship and how we relate to others when we gather for worship. These are the things I want you to have in your mind. So did I, did I show up to the church gathering for the sake of worshiping God or did I show up for something else? Do I come in such a way that prohibits other people from worshiping or do I come in such a way that causes other people to want to worship more? Is there something that I do that is distracting to the people around me while they're trying to worship? All of these things are applications to what Paul is writing about here. Now, he's writing a specific instance. Probably what he was writing about here was in their Christian liberty, which all these chapters are dealing with this. There were some women who said, though it's customary in our time for me to have to have my head covered in public, and the women, and I don't want you to think Islam here. All right, this was different than that. But the women in that day did it as a sign of respect. If you were a married lady, you did not go out in public with your head uncovered, except you were having a spat with your husband. If you're having a spat with your husband, and you just that day didn't consider to be your husband anymore, you might go out with your head uncovered. And it might be a public show. I'm a sassy lady, and he did me wrong, and I want the whole world to know about it. But in that culture, that would not fly. So ladies, is that what you're all communicating to us tonight? With your heads uncovered? Uh, It would be in in our, our world similar to... If I said to Mrs. Strickland tonight, it's good to see you, Mrs. Strickland. And she said, you know what? I'm going by Massey today. It's her maiden name, Massey. And uh, I said, what, what do you mean you're going by Massey today? And she said, I'm sick of this Strickland stuff. You know, The men, we were out in the lobby during the youth time. and We were all talking out there. And uh, thanks for that, Preston and Dave. I appreciate it. You guys gave us some fellowship time while you watched the children. It was nice. Jared and I were talking about when you, if you ever forget your wedding ring at home. Boy, you can get in some big trouble for those, those types of things. I think I'd tell what you said. <laughs> so, our posture and worship. Richard Pratt relates a story on that subject. He said, I stood there behind the pulpit in a small town in Tasmania, Australia. It was the middle of July, but it was their winter, a very cold winter. As I stood there shivering in the pulpit, I could not believe what happened. It was just an innocent comment A general application of the Bible. I think I simply said, we should all be careful to be patient with one another. But suddenly, a woman in the congregation jumped up and shouted, don't tell me that until you've told my husband to get a job. (laughs) She sat down as quickly as she stood up. But I remember everyone in the church turning around to look at her husband. His face turned bright red and he hid his face in his hands. He did not look up again for the entire worship service. I was only a guest. So I do not know what family dynamics were displayed at that moment. But one thing was sure, 
The woman did not feel the least obligation to honor her husband during their public worship. I think this little story gets us to, in 2023 is the modern church. How do we apply this passage? I think that should get you where they are. Have you ever sat in church and maybe the preacher really got on something and you said to the child or the spouse or the buddy next to you, pay attention, you need to hear this part. That kind of a thing, right? What is our posture like? Are we worshiping God? Are we simply keeping up with man's traditions? These are the things I want on our minds as we go through these verses. We find three basic concerns as we go through these verses. First, Paul was committed to honoring God by applying the principles of Scripture to worship. Second, he was concerned that believers show due regard for one another in their worship times. Third, he was concerned with the testimony of the Corinthian worship meetings before unbelievers. And I want you to be aware of that. Now, we would not label our church as a seeker-friendly church or sensitive church. We're friendly. But we don't do things here to make the lost comfortable. We do things here to make the saved comfortable. The idea being, should the lost ever attend our services, they'll realize that there's a difference and maybe a magnetism of the Holy Spirit or of that appeal would draw them to Christ. Now, the, the current, like what I was taught in school and the current church practice is not that. The current church practice is get rid of the stained glass. Don't wear, don't wear like religious looking garments when you preach. Don't have a, don't have a pulpit. Like you just get your, your iPad and you stand out here with your skinny jeans on, you know, and your, your, your T-shirt or whatever. And, and to each his own, right? But my point would simply be we, we don't do that. That's not our thinking. However, we also, we don't, we're not in the habit of discouraging the lost from being here. No, we're not going to set it up for them. We're not going to, I'm preaching to the saved. Even on a Sunday morning, I'm, I'm preaching to the saved. Just by percentages, it's, it's more uh, strategic, if you want to use that word, for me to, to go that route. What are we trusting in then to reach the lost? We're trusting in the truths of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? But Paul still writes instruction here for the church and their posture, their behavior in regards to the unsaved who might attend their worship gatherings. So while we would not say we're a seeker sensitive church, I also don't want to say that we're, a, you know, locking the back doors to the lost church either. Right. This is our I mean, we're evangelistic. We want to see the lost get saved. If you want to invite your lost friends to church. And if you want to whisper in my ear beforehand, my lost person, the lost person that they've been praying for us here this morning, that's, that's good. I'm going to try my best to make sure and tell them Jesus died for your sins, but he didn't stay dead. And if you'll believe on him in faith, your sins can be forgiven and heaven can be your home. Amen. We want to give that gospel as often as we can. So three focuses. Paul's committed to honoring God by applying the scripture, the principles of scripture to worship. He's concerned, number two, he's concerned that believers show due regard for one another in their worship times. Third, he's concerned with the testimony of Christian worship, specifically by the Corinthians here before unbelievers. This chapter focuses on how the practice of head coverings for women reflects these three concerns. Now, when I say that, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it because it's not our culture anymore. We've established that. That's just not how things are done anymore. Why were women to cover their heads in worship? And Paul gives a threefold answer here in the verses. 
We're going we're gonna to break these down in time, but tonight I'm just going to summarize them for you quickly. First, it was true to divine commands. Second, it honored their husbands in worship. And three, it reflected the cultural expectations of decency in their day. I don't think we have any men in here old enough. A couple of you would be close to it. But there was a time in even American history where it was pretty customary that a man wear a hat when he go out in public. Just what men did. In fact, you can read about in like the, the 40s especially. That was just a thing. In fact, you were, it was like a thing. It was a kid. You were a kid if you, if you didn't have your hat on in public or if you wore a ball cap. Like a lot of people wear ball caps now. But men wore hats. And then as soon as they came into the building, what do they do with their hats? You took them off. That's just what was customary is what you did. Things like that have always kind of infiltrated the church and been back and forth. I grew up around some North Georgia mountain preachers who thought that boys wear short pants and men wear long pants. And so I played high school basketball in pants. Did you have to wear pants too? No. Dixon County was liberal, huh? All right. Went to one of those liberal Christian schools. Oh, I didn't feel more holy because I had to wear pants playing basketball. I felt more hot. <laughs> and I sweated a whole lot. But that was what they thought. They thought if you're a man, you wear long pants. And so I, I have friends still to this day. We don't do social media anymore. But back when we would do social media, they'd see a picture of me at the, at the ocean because we don't go to the beach, right? They'd see a picture of me at the ocean and I had my swimming trunks on. And they didn't say how beautiful the sunset or, oh, it's nice that your family got away. They said, I see you got your kids' pants on there. You know, is this kind of a thing. These things have always infiltrated. And just to be clear, I don't care. <laughs> you could you wear whatever you want. What's my rule? Be modest. That, that's, that's a good rule for it. If you're immodest, then we can have a talk about it. If you feel like I'm being immodest, we should have a talk about it. But besides that, let me just meddle here for just a minute. Somebody recently tried to make the point to me that I was being immodest by wearing suits when nobody else in our church wears suits. I don't Technically, yes, because I'm drawing attention to myself there. But I promise you there are some outfits that I have that the coat does a lot of modesty for me. So <laughs> you should be glad. All right. I want to go through these verses with three headings for the, just to divide the passage up. Number, number one, verses one through three, the theology behind the instruction. Because I don't, I don't think we should skip that. You can get on into verse four down to num- verse 12 and say, Oh man, this is interesting stuff. Why is Paul harking on this so much? He's really dealing with it here or there. But you need to know the theology behind the instruction. In fact, I would encourage you, ladies, that you live in a post-feminist movement world. I would encourage you to be sure of the biblical theology that's here in verse number three. Men, you, you, you have ladies in your life who live in this progressive world. It's important that you understand the biblical theology that is here. So that's our first heading. The second will be the instruction that Paul gives in this regard, verses 4 through 12. And then finally, common sense around the instruction, verse 13 through 16. I'm going to divide this up into two, two sermons. Tonight we're going to deal with the theology from verses 1 through 3. Next time we'll go 4 through 16. So if you knew where I was and you were coming tonight to hear me talk about women's head coverings, Jack, well, you got to wait till next time, all right? The theology behind the instruction. Verse 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So Paul says, do like I do. Now, with a clarifying statement there. What is Paul's clarifying statement when he says, be followers of me? So long as what? Yeah, so long as I'm following Christ. 
He doesn't just say, do what I tell you to do. If ever you find a religious leader who's saying, just do what I'm doing or do what I tell you to do. See, it's working for me and you should do the same. This should be a red flag for you. This should be problematic for you. And people will often take this as a a case because it is a case in the Bible. The Apostle Paul does say multiple times, follow my example, do as I'm doing. But here he gives that wonderful clarifying statement, so long as I'm pointing you to Christ. Otherwise, I think Paul's instruction would be there, I'm the chief of sinners. You should probably do the opposite of what I've done in my life. But throughout church history, we have found this to be a plague upon the church. The Protestant Reformation was in most parts, because of this very issue. Those who were the leaders in the church had abandoned scriptures for the sake of their own pocketbooks and they were introducing doctrines that were man-made doctrines, but they were considered saints or on their way to it. So you, you did whatever the saint down at the church instructed you to do. It's a very unique thing. But Paul's instruction here is, so long as I'm following Christ, Corinthians You should feel safe following my example. R.C. Sproul said, the apostle does not set himself up as an absolute example. He is to be imitated to the extent that he imitates Christ. In Calvin's day, this was especially problematic. With those put on pedestals publicly who were in reality evil. he, He wrote this. He said, we see, however, how many evils have been introduced into the church by this absurd desire of imitating all the actions of the saints without exception. Let us therefore maintain so much the more carefully this doctrine of Paul, that we are to follow men, provided they take Christ as their grand model, that the examples of the saints may not tend to lead us away from Christ, but rather direct us to him. So should I read this author? Should I listen to this podcast? Should I watch this Christian film? Should I pay attention to this YouTube channel was it pointing you to christ go for it is it pulling you away from christ leave it be and i would add here that while we might not consider ourselves in such dire straits as they did prior to the protestant reformation we can fall prey just as much in our day there's a problem in the 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 church of today's world with the technology and the ability to get so much more media than they ever dreamed of being able to to have this borderline idolatry of hero worship. You know, as long as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so has said this or written this or tweeted this or, you know, talked about this, then boy, it kind of spreads like wildfire, doesn't it? Did you hear what so-and-so said? And, and it gets around. And I'm appreciative of that in one extent because there are great teachers out there and we're able to get a lot of their good teaching. But if we're not careful, we put these people on such a pedestal that should they ever slip and fall, we lose our faith in God when God hasn't changed at all. So we must be very careful of that. And Paul's not saying, look to me, I'm the best thing. He says, look to me, even as I am also of Christ. The second way we fall prey in our day is being led astray by those who've been given or they found this public widespread platform, but they're privately carnal and evil. We must be very careful of that as well. So we follow Christ. And then we follow Paul's example of following Christ. And probably we just don't take it any further. Praise the Lord for good people who are helpers in our lives. But when it comes to who we're following, we're following Christ. And we're following these folks that God allowed to be in his inspired word. So verse number one, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Verse number two, he praises the Corinthian church. 
He says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. So he praises them for their keeping of the teaching that he gave them while he was with them. He says the ordinances here, and for sure he's going to later, very quickly in the next few paragraphs, talk about one of the ordinances of the church, the Lord's table. But the Greek word we get from ordinances here doesn't actually mean what we would translate into ordinances today. Like we believe there are two ordinances that the church should constantly be practicing, the Lord's Supper and baptism. He, he means traditions. He's saying here, you're keeping the traditions. Now, he doesn't mean traditions in the sense we mean traditions. When we talk about traditions, we mean like we have green punch at our Christmas party and we have red punch at the hanging of the greens party. Well, why do y'all do it that way? Because it's the way we've always done it. <laughs> That's not what Paul means there. Paul says, there are some, some doctrines that I taught you when I was there with you. And now that I'm no longer there with you, I'm having to write back and address some behaviors and some ideas and some practices. But, I, but I'm commending you. I'm praising you, church, that you're still keeping to those doctrines that I've taught you there. Now, this is a positive this is a wonderful thing for us to remember in the current church. This is good for us to remember as we are the church. These folks have been adamantly following his instruction and keeping to these ordinances that he instructed. They remembered him. They followed his example. They took hold of the traditions that he taught them. But if you were to categorize, if you had to sum up in a couple of sentences to someone, hey, what's the book of Corinthians all about? That's not what you would say. You would say, these folks, they had, they, were, they had craziness going on in their church. Do you remember chapter five? They had craziness going on in their church. And boy, it was just a big old mess. And Paul had to, he had to write and fix it. But that's not how Paul writes to them. In fact, we started in chapter one. He said, you guys, you've been called to be saints. He didn't say you're heathens. He said, you're saints. He talked about how the goodness of God was evident in them. He's going to later get into how the, the work of the Holy Spirit is just magnificent with them, magnified around them. And here he praises them again for keeping to these doctrines that he taught us. There's wisdom for us there, church. Paul does not write and say, you guys just need to shut down. You're a bad church. You just need to close up. You're, just not, you're not getting it right. You keep messing up. Fire the preacher. Send the piano player down the street. Sorry, Liz. And just, just stop. Sell the building. He didn't say that. He writes and he offered correction for where they were wrong. But he also offered praise for where they are right. I can illustrate this well with the current political social climate in our world. When's the last time you were thankful or complimentary for something outside of like your immediate life in church? Like something political, something governmental, something social. I don't know the last time I have. I, I mean, the last 14 times I've been to Walmart, I've just griped the whole time. I hate this place. The lines are so long. Everybody stinks here. I'm one of those people, right? Or whatever the complaints are. But if you, if you ever stopped, I'm just making a point here. This is a tough one to spit out. Have you ever stopped to think how convenient Walmart is? They have like one of everything. It may not be the exact brand that you want, but if you need one, they probably got it. And it's usually cheaper than most everywhere else in the world. And yeah, you had to wait in line, but like they're close to where you live. 
If we're not careful, we get so caught up into this negativity of everything's bad and everything stinks and everything's wrong and everything needs to be fixed and corrected all the time. Then like we lose joy as Christians. And then here you have the church, the ones who say, mansion over the hilltop. Eternal sinlessness. Peace and harmony with Jesus. But when people meet us, they're like, man, they're, they're crusty curmudgeons. They're just bitter and grouchy about everything. I must be careful with that. Paul writes here and he says, hey, you're messing up. But you're getting this right. Make some corrections, make some changes, but go forward. That's what the church must do. We strive to do things right. We strive to do things biblically. But we're still sin-cursed humans who are working with other sin-cursed humans. Did you need me to tell you that tonight? Anybody in here, you had forgotten you're a sin-cursed human? Now, I need this one for my own sin. You remember that I'm still a sin-cursed human too, right? Same as you. If we ever get to where it's got to be sinlessly perfect for it to be okay with us, there's going to be nobody left but you. Because there's only one person that you're ever going to feel like is getting it right all the time. It's typically going to be you. Wives, it should be your husbands. But for the rest of us, it'll be you. Sorry, that was a good time for that one. At times we're going to have things wrong. At times we're going to get things wrong. Does that mean we just cut the lights out and stay home? No, it means we, we come over here and we figure it out and we work hard to get it right. And that's going to involve some forgiveness and that's going to involve some flexibility. Chuck Swindoll, he's very helpful. He says, even in the healthiest churches, we can find pockets of discord, conflict, or shameless sin. Likewise, in declining churches, we find signs of life, glimpses of hope, and those who have remained faithful even in the darkest time. Paul is fair to give credit where credit is due. I'm thankful for verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances I delivered them unto you. Now, in verse 3, then, he presents to them the biblical hierarchy. And this is the, the meat of what we want to build off of for the rest of these 16 verses. So he says, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, it's easy to work quickly past that verse, but I don't want you to, to just step over the theology there because the theology given there is very crucial to understanding everything else that he wants to say. I'll just say, if you're in the... The women's lib movement, this is going to offend you. She's just go ahead and go. Like this is, you're not going to agree with the words that are going to come out of my mouth here. At the same time, if you're a man who thinks that somehow because you're male and not female, that you're just all the way better than every female out there and it's a God-given right of yours to be better, you're not going to like what I say either. So see, I'm trying to ride the fence here. All right? We all good? Okay. Now, if you skip the theology... God's biblical hierarchy that's being taught in this verse. You're going to take these verses and you can take all the rest of the Bible as simply God's list given by Paul as a list of do's and don'ts. Do wear your head covering in public worship, ladies. Men, you better not. You don't have to wear it at the house except on Tuesdays and every other Friday. Why? I don't know, because the Bible says so. God doesn't expect us to live this way. God expects us to live within a system that he's created and he's created you to be able to fulfill the role 
in that system as only you can. And when you get outside of the bounds of what God has created for you to do, you're not going to be comfortable and the people around you are not going to be comfortable. But when we do things the way God intended them to be done, we will be the most fulfilled people upon the face of the earth. So let's, let's get into it there. God doesn't want our lives to be living out a list of do's and don'ts. God intends our lives to be worshiped. That's why he saved us. Adam and Eve worshiped. They, they walked with him. They talked with him. They communed with him in the garden, but they sinned. So they were separated from him. God redeemed us back to himself so that we could, again, walk with him and talk with him, commune with him. All of life could be worship. So that's what he intends our life to be. But we must also know and concede the fact that every ordered society is built upon certain pr- pillars, principles. Two of those primarily in this regard are authority and then subjection to authority. I know we say we'd like to be able to drive home tonight at whatever speed we want to. We'd love that freedom. Can I get anybody with me on that one? All right. You same people, keep your hands up. You love you could drive home tonight at any speed. You also want everybody else to be able to drive home at that speed. I'm taking my hand out there. I want to be able to drive fast. I want them to have to go slow. And not be idiots. Because anybody that's driving faster than me is an idiot. Anybody driving slower than me is just stupid. And that's how it goes. So authority and submission to the authority. These are pillars that a good society functions upon. Where these principles are not observed, you don't have well-functioning community. So Paul gives three parallel relationships that exist here. First, Christ in relation to every man. I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Secondly, man in relation to woman. And the head of the woman is the man. And then third, God the Father in relation to Christ. The head of Christ is God. All right, so let's get into those. The head of every man is Christ. Christ is the Lord and man is to be subject to the Lord. Now, you... you it, We have to be very careful when we apply or misapply gender. So when we say man is to be subject to Christ as Lord, does that mean that women do not have to be subject to Christ as Lord? No, there's the principle of lordship salvation. If he's not Lord of your life, then you're not saved, right? We understand that's a biblical thing that is is taught there. So the only reason that Jesus is your Savior is because he's your Lord. If he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. And that applies across genders. Man, this is... uh, This is hard to preach in 2023 because I'm doing away with gender there to get you saved. I'm going to give you a verse for it here in just a minute. Outside of that, then there is instruction given to men. There is instruction given to women. Then most of us were taught in literature, probably by fifth grade, that generally in literature, it's written in which sense? The masculine. Is it sense or tone? What is the word for that, teachers? It's generally written in the masculine. And if it's not written in the feminine, then it's written in the masculine, that it's okay that you understand what is written in the masculine tone to apply to the masculine or the feminine. Okay. This doesn't fly. Am I wrong on this? I don't know. You weren't. Oh, you can't interpret that. (laughs) Just tell him I said boys rule and girls drool. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't say that, Jay. I am crazy. I should have picked a different passage tonight. Uh, that be, the, the point of all that being, when he says man is subject to Christ, 
It's all of us. But in this particular context, he is specifically talking about the male role, the female role. And he includes, and it's a blessing to us that he includes Christ's role in relation to God here. Because that gets even more complicated. Because what did Jesus say about his relationship to God? He said, I and my father are one. How can one be subject to the other if they are the same? Like that's a... That's another sermon for another night. But I appreciate how the Holy Spirit allows Paul to lay this out for for the sake of our understanding God's biblical hierarchy. So Christ is the Lord. Man is subject to him. Then the, the head of woman is man. God gave the place of headship to the man. You, you do what you want with this. I'm going to tell you how far I take this on a personal level. I, I don't. And then you need to remember how I take things. On a person-to-person level. Well, oh, just pick on Brother Preston. How much authority, he, he should know this, very, how much authority do I have in your home? Zero. None whatsoever. I have no authority in Preston's home. So here's what I want to say there. The biblical understanding of what's being said here is that the husband is responsible to God for his home, that men are responsible to God for their businesses, that men are responsible to God for government, local, state, national, whatever. So then that gets into, oh, should a woman be president? No, a woman should not be president. Now, would I ever vote for a woman to be president? Yeah, I'd vote for a woman to be president. So that gets complicated, doesn't it? But if it comes down to, do I want to vote for a female over a male to be president or an abortionist over a non-abortionist to be president, I'm going to vote for the non-abortionist to be the president, even if I have to vote for a female. Should women lead in the church? No. Do you have any other places you'd like to ask me what I think on this? I don't think females should lead in any instance whatsoever. I don't think ladies should be cops. I don't think ladies should be the boss down at the Chick-fil-A since Roy's got her hand up there. Yes, Roy. That's a great question. So, talk on you kids and your questions. In a sense, I'll say no, but then we got to distinguish who the man is. So, is, is the man the, the governor of our state? Well, as long as he's not asking you to do anything that goes against Scripture, then you still fall under that authority. Jesus himself said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. Uh, obeying your, your civil government as long as up until the point that they tell you to do something that's against Scripture. I'm going to make all the rednecks mad and myself included here. Could you biblically say that the government taking your guns is, is going against the biblical Bible? Could you biblically say that that's going against God? Yes. No, you couldn't you could make that case. Now, you might could twist some... Now, am I going to give up my gun? No. Did they just kick us off Facebook there, Jimmy? But, yes. What's that? Yeah, that's right. All right, Cole. That's a good one, Cole. All right, so to answer Roy's question there, you, you would not, if they tell you to go against Scripture, you would if they're in authority over you and they're not telling you to go against Scripture. But I think that goes back to how Christians ought to pattern their lives. And you're looking for a husband. Should you look for a saved or an unsaved man or just the best looking dude you can find? Yeah, all right. But, you, but you're looking for a Christian. We should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. No, we only apply that to marriage. 
But is that the context of how that verse is applied? No, you, you shouldn't have a business partner who's an unbeliever. Now you say, wait a minute, I work for an unbeliever. Okay, well don't quit your job and keep witnessing to them. But as soon as the job works that you, comes available, you can work for a believer, go work for a believer. Say, well, it's less money. It's going to be less stress. Now I wouldn't recommend, I work for a lot of believers. That's a little bit harder. But in that regard, when we interpret what the Bible, the biblical hierarchy, man is subject to Christ, the woman is subject to the man. Just, just so you know where I fall on that. That's, that's where I'm always going to lend that like the, the woman's role biblically is not to lead. Now, does that mean women are useless? No, that is not what I mean. Does that mean women aren't talented? Does that mean women can't do certain things? No, that is not what I mean at all. There's, there's a lot of places and there's a lot of roles and I don't have the answer to every single scenario that we could hypothetically come up here of what you could do and couldn't do. But given your own scenarios right here, I'm going to defer to Preston. How much authority do I have in your house? None whatsoever. And if he wants to disagree and his wife wants to run for president, well, that's their business. And honestly, Dana, if he ran for president, I'd probably vote for you. Yeah, you got one. Well, hopefully you had Preston's. <laughs> yes, sir, Brother Homer. It's a, uh, totally. Three years ago, my niece, uh, not going to church, re, remarried, and a, and a man close to where he was in the church of Christ, and they, they, they went a good long while. She gets uh, saved, and she would prefer not to go to that church, but he won't go anywhere else. My advice to her, and correct me, too, it's all right. Yeah. But I said, Sherry, go with him. Yep. I said, you stay in the Word, you do your Bible studies, get along with those folks, and maybe you'll grow in grace some too. He's a good man. Yep. I did that. Now, uh, if you want to comment. No, I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. The, that when you're unequally yoked together, and we know that for, to the young people, we'd say don't marry an unbeliever. But if you're married and you have an unbeliever, that, that gets hard. And you have to make compromises with each other. Maybe... Maybe he goes with her sometimes to what she likes and things like that. Sinead doesn't particularly love the symphony, but I like the symphony, so she goes with me sometimes to that. And I don't really know what I do. That's I guess I got to work on that. That you like that I don't. But anyways, yes, sir, brother Daryl. Um, to your point about voting for a woman, if she was she had a political views that were more aligned with your political views than a man, I would say. Like have babies. Yeah. Yeah. You're not meant to do this. Or, or anything. I'm going to do it poorly, and I'm going to rob somebody else the opportunity to do it to do it well. Hundred percent. Yep. If you couldn't hear what Daryl was saying there, just on the analogy of should a woman run for president, or should we vote for a woman who runs for president? That's a slippery slope. You didn't say slippery slope, but I'm going to say it's a slippery slope because that's why in the church now the, the hierarchy has broken down and we have, we, we served, I served as an interim for a church in Virginia for a while 
that the head deacon and head of the pulpit committee was a lady. And she said to me, the only reason I do this is because most of our men are too sorry to do it. And, and she was right. The more I got to know them, she was exactly right. But to your point, you're exactly right. All she's doing by that is enabling their poor behavior because if they're sorry, well, of course they don't want to have to go to these meetings and interview these preachers and decide who's preaching and who's not and deal with church votes and all these things. And if there's a lady who would do it, they said, well, sure, go for it. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Any others on that one? Yes, sir, Brother Rick. You know, the Bible says that uh, uh, so a uh, lady can get her husband saved that she stays with him. Yeah. Or her husband moves her saved, he stays with her. Yep. And, Absolutely. Very important. So, the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The woman is under the man's authority because God gave the place of headship to the man. Now, let's address singleness because Paul just dealt with lots of chapters about singleness. Let's say that a lady decides, well, I want to be single. Well, then who is her authority? Like, How does she stay under the authority of the man if in her home she's the single lady there and she is the authority? Well, I would say two things there. Number one, if her version for singleness, and I have a family member who's this way, is simply because, and I have an aunt who will tell you, she won't cross, she, she won't, she don't mind telling you, I ain't going to have no man telling me what to do. <laughs> so she never got married. All right, if that's the reason for singleness, that's not a biblical reason for singleness, okay? If the reason for singleness is, I want Christ to be my all, and Paul says, I, I wish that you were all this way, well, then you're under the authority of Christ outside of that. Now, there's still going to be men in your life in the biblical hierarchy who you're going to be submissive to. But I've never met a person yet who's fully submitted to Christ who had trouble humbling themselves and being submitted to anybody else. I, I talk a big talk in the pulpit about police, but you know what I do every time I get pulled over for driving too fast? I, yeah, that's it. I put my hands on the, the steering wheel there. I keep my mouth shut. I do what they tell me to do. And then I just gripe about them when I get home because I'm mad because they caught me speeding and broke the law and made me pay the fine. All right, and then he says the head of Christ is God. I told you I'd get you out of here by 8, but I, I'm going to need till 8.04. <laughs> Even in the Godhead, one person has the place of rule and authority and takes, another takes the place of willing subordination. Now, this should bring you home if you're sitting here thinking, this is not how I understand the Bible. I'm a woman, or this is not what I think about women, and I think chance is wrong, and I think he's just preaching this from a one-sided way. Well, Paul said here, and Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. He says, even in the Godhead, there's three in one, but one takes the place of authority and the others take the place of subordination. This is God's design and it's fundamental to his arrangement of the entire universe. Now, there's still some clarifying points to be made here. Husbands are never the heads of their wives in precisely the same way that Christ is the head of men. So when, when Paul talks about here, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, be in submission to your husbands, right? That's Ephesians. When he gets into that, when he talks about here, the head of the woman is the man, all these things. He, he is not saying, men, that you need to play the role of Christ in their lives. Our ladies, that your husband should fulfill that role. That's not it at all. Christ created man and is the perfect and absolute authority for the man in the, in the masculine tone here, meaning man and woman, Right? There's not a man on the earth who could or should be 
in the role of Christ for the woman. In fact, anybody that would be in the role of Christ besides Christ for the woman or the man, we would call them a what? An antichrist. And that's a, 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 an evil thing. Nor is Christ the head of men precisely in the same way that God is the head of Christ. The Father didn't create the Son. The Son created us, but the Father didn't create the Son. So when the Son subordinates Himself to the Father, it's not the same as the subordination that we have here. Christ is not the subordinate of the Father. He humbled Himself, became obedient unto the death on the cross. And because of this, God has highly exalted Him, given Him a name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, right? We should also note here that subjection does not mean inferiority. Christ is the is subject to God the Father, but he's not inferior to God the Father. So woman is not inferior to man. Though subordinate, she is not inferior. In fact, I would make the case, and I do this semi-jokingly here, but you know, God created man and then he did it over again. I'm sure he made some perfections on, you know, God didn't make imperfections, but my eyes tell me he did a better job the second time around. Uh, let me quickly give you this and we'll be done. John MacArthur, if you have the MacArthur commentaries, I think we've got one more left out there. He, he traces headship through this text very well. So I'm going to give you that and then I'll be done. He begins saying, there's no distinction between men and women as far as personal worth, intellect, or spirituality are concerned. Simply roles, right? God-given roles. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That women function uniquely in God's order, however, submitting to men's authority, Paul affirms by several points. And here's his points. Verse 3, in the pattern of the Godhead, and the head of the woman is the man. Verse 7, in the design, the divine design of male and female. For a man, verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So in the divine design of male and female, we look different, we are different. Amen? Who chose that? God, not us. All right, verse eight, number three, in the order of creation. The man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Verse nine, number four, the purpose of woman in regard to man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Ladies, that's why we don't do the chores. You were created for us. I could fear the piercing without even looking up on that one. Got to keep it light. Verse 10, number five, the concern of the angels. Now this one we'll delve into more next time, but read it. For this cause ought the man to have power on, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Number six, verse 13 through 15, the characteristics of natural physiology. Judging yourself, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? So he's just saying there like, what do you already know within yourself? Is this right or is this wrong? Verse 14, doth not even nature teach itself, teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So with these things understood, Paul can now give his instruction. If you understand the theology of this here, that this is how God created things, this is how God ordered things, then we have instruction which you and I now are able to interpret and take application away from. And I would remind you it applies to any church in any time in church history. As Christ brings honor and glory to his heavenly father, men are expected to honor Christ. 
Wives are expected to honor their husbands. And he's speaking in this context specifically in the public worship gatherings. And then this is especially seen um, outside of that as we, would, we, we shouldn't be doing things differently here than we, we would outside there. All right, now, didn't get to it tonight, but I just want to make this final comment. And I think Daryl probably did better than any of us in trying to say this. So he gets all the brownie points from the women tonight. Way to go, Daryl. <laughs> Uh, God has created us in these roles to be fulfilled in these roles. And ladies, to you especially, because this is the most demeaning to you to have to hear these things, it, it, is, it is meant to build you up, not to tear you down. But because of the twisted backwards world we live in here, this comes across as tearing down when in reality it glories you in exactly how and who God made you to be. Hard for you to hear that from a man, I know, but so it be.